This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Welcome to For the Shire, By the Shire. Each week, we speak to property and finance professionals working in and around the Sutherland Shire. Discover insider tips and tricks from the Shire's leading experts on how to get ahead in today's market. Introducing your host, Nathan Smith, the Director and Senior Mortgage Broker at the award-winning Birdie Wealth. We're back again with another episode of For the Shire, By the Shire, and we're joined today by Stuart Maloney from Century 21, running out of the Menai office at the moment, but has also spent a lot of time in Caring Bar. Now, Stuart's actually a one-agent brand for over 20 years and uh, is a Gen Y agent, which is always good to have uh, a mix of those in and amongst the other agents. Um, Stuart, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on the program, Nathan. You've uh, been in real estate for over 20 years, also Gen Y, so I assume that's been most of your career, professional career, has been in real estate. Well, that's right. Um, I probably stumbled into real estate. I was a, a training to be a store manager at McDonald's, um, so there's certain ways you do things, you can't switch it off if you think that way and bit OCD. And then having a family that was in real estate, I decided, well, do you know what, maybe there's got to be something more fulfilling than organising a $5 meal out a drive through window and finding someone a, a place to, to live if they're a tenant or, or a, a seller. Um, that was what started to light that fire. So. so your time in property, has it always been in the Sutherland Shire? Completely in the Sutherland Shire. Yeah. Uh, in my 20th year now. Okay. And we said there was a bit of a mix of uh, Menai and Caring Bar. How has that journey travelled and, and where have you moved around? Sure. So um, the company that we're with is uh, Century 21. And uh, originally I started at the Menai office, uh, did my, I guess you could say, cadetship if you like. So that was in 2001. And for the first 12 months, um, I started learning how to sweep the floors, you know, do rental stuff, bits and pieces. Uh, 12 months to the day, I thought I nearly got fired when I was told to you know, pack up the desk and you've got to go home. I didn't understand what I'd done, uh, but little did I realise it was the start of uh, Caring Bar, which was an existing Century 21 office that we purchased and spent a lot of time down at uh, that neck of the woods and only recently, about four years ago, uh, relocated back to, to Menlo. Fantastic. So your most of your time has been spent at Caring Bar and you have a mix of clients based both in Caring Bar and Menai. What have you seen change over the years? Let's talk about Caring Bar first of all as a suburb. What's changed over, over that last kind of 16 years I guess you spent there? Well, I think the expectations for, for clients, uh, predominantly with what they expect from a minimum standard with the agent. So, you know, obviously the advent of digital technology, the internet, mobile phones, emails. I mean, for, for the consumer, it's not acceptable for them to have to wait two or three days to, to get a response. Uh, if they can't get you, then they'll actually find you on Facebook and message you that way. So, um, from, I guess, from the consumer's perspective, everything is, you know, real live. It's got to happen right now. Uh, in recent events, so things like bushfires and things like that, uh, we've got to be contactable 24-7, um, obviously, because we've got to be there for the clients. In the local demographic, what's changed for Caring Bar? A um, little bit sad because I've seen the, uh, the, the parents' generation, so the uh, baby boomers, that they've all moved on now and a lot of their 650 square metre blocks of land have become concrete uh, city, a bit, bit duplex-like. But, you know, that's a natural progression for the area. But that's probably the thing that I've noticed that has changed most about the Caring Bar area is now it's uh, no longer seeing the single or two-level homes. We're looking up and seeing skyscrapers, but that's just evolution of the area. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a fabulous location. Everyone wants to live there. There's a huge demand for Absolutely. people wanting to live near the train station, close to amenities and shops, and then just a, a quick trip down to the beach. What about Menai then? How does that differ to Caringbar? Certainly from a price point. Um, if you use the epicentre of uh, Cronulla, you know, with the attitude of things are more expensive the closer you are to Cronulla, and then the further that you get away, obviously price pulls back a smidgen. Uh, we're now finding that the average price for a home in uh, out west, which is Menai Way, uh, is around the you know 900 to 950,000 mark. Whereas if you look back three or four years ago, you could pick something up when the market was quite depressed uh, for 750 to 800. So even though we've had some big changes afoot in the last 18 months. Um, the recovery has certainly been underway. And it seems to have held well in Menai. Is there something about Menai that seems to have kept those property prices strong? Well, I think from, from the consumer's perspective, we now understand that you know working six days a week is it's not really negotiable. It's something that we have to do. That's just to provide a minimum standard for our family. So um, with that, a lot of the buyers are conditioned to saying, okay, well, if I want to live within the Shire, um, then maybe we have to uh, work outside the area uh, or we have to travel outside the area. So, you know, for example, people coming from uh, Wattle Grove, uh, uh, places like that, or even from down the south coast. So they're used to travelling 45, 50 minutes. So by going to Menai, even though it might cost them a little bit more upfront now, dollar cost averaging, they're far better to, to pull the trigger and do that now. So it puts them in a little bit closer to the CBD or, or Absolutely. running out from there on the M5, either east or west. Plus with uh, young families as we both have now, Nathan, uh, the schools and things like that are very good within you know any area of the Sutherland Shire as well. So Let's start with uh, buyers first. So let's start with buyers. You've worked with buyers over a long period of time. Is there some common mistakes you're seeing the buyers are making out there that you think could be, uh, could be, could be done better? Definitely. So we have a, a phrase uh, in our office, which uh, a lot of real estate agents have got similar terms, um, some which we can't obviously record, <laughs> uh, but we call it a sheriff. So you know, if there was one take-home thing for a buyer that I want listening to this podcast is to think about in your circle of friends, you've got a sphere of influence. And in that sphere of influence, you might have um, Eddie the uncle, uh, you might have uh, a good friend who's a real estate agent, it might be siblings, your parent. And no matter what you seem to do, when you go to, as a buyer, you look at a property, they come out with all of these negative things. Now, they come out with the negative things because they love you, they care about you implicitly. But the big mistake that I see is that the indecision where people don't end up pulling the trigger and buying something ends up where, worst case, they don't buy something for two to three years. And in that two to three year period, um, things have increased 15 or 20%, whereas they would have been far better off buying when they did and making an, you know, an informed decision and not listening too much to what we call as the sheriff. So if money's not a problem, then the sheriff doesn't matter. But if people are going to be living in an area that's appreciating in value, like ours is currently at the moment, I would be saying you really have to put aside, okay, my sheriff, my family member is going to love me and they're going to say all of these constructive criticisms about the property, but at the end of the day, it's my family that's going to be living here. I can't afford what they want me to live in, so at some point we're going to have to fear the finish line. We're going to have to commit and buy something. Yeah, I think we've we've got similar terms in our office as well, and uh, I think the takeaway message here is that they they mean well, right? They're not gotcha. they're doing it because they care, but we still need to understand where we're getting our advice from. And there's a potential that they may not have bought a property for twenty plus years. They the process from when they bought a property and walked past a shop front and selected one out of the window to how you buy a property now and what you look for and what's important to a family now. 
uh, is very different. Well, similar question, uh, which we don't ask, but it's it's all relative because of our age uh, age groups. Um, you know, is there a great time to have a family and 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 get married and and buy a home? You know, those three things that families are considering. Well, I have to tell you that there's 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 no great time to have a family. It happens when it happens. For some people, there's a ten or fifteen year delay, even though they want it to happen earlier. So there's no ideal time to do these things. But if you look back over history and you look back at some of the more families that are more set up financially. There is a consistency here where they've had a lot of discipline. They've listened to someone like yourself who's an expert in those respective fields and they've said, right, we're going to have a structured plan. We're not going to be around the barbecue when someone says, well, maybe buying that second or third property is a good idea. They've had a structured plan of attack and you know that's where Nathan, you come in to support that process. Now, looking at the process of buying a home, we'll stay with the buyers for now. What is a confusing part of the process and, and how can we make that easier for buyers? Certainly. So I break it down into to two sides, um, something that a buyer can control and something that the buyer can't control. So what a buyer can't control is if they're dealing with an agent that's an absolute dingbat. <laughs> now, I'm going to be criti- criticising my own industry here. So an agent that is a, a dingbat is somebody that uh, might be marketing property for auction and they don't understand what it's like to live in the shoes of the buyer. So they haven't transacted buying and selling themselves in the last 12 months to know what that relevance is. So a thing about an agent does not provide a strata report when they're selling a property that's a townhouse or a unit. Uh, that particular agent will not even have a concept of uh, finding out with a home if they had a pest and building report. So I would first be asking the buyer to, when they first meet and greet a real estate agent, just ask a crucial conversational question. By the way, Mr. and Mrs. Agent, do you have any uh, pest and building reports or if it's strata, strata reports? Um, and that will probably give you a little bit of an insight whether you're dealing with someone who you think you can get on with and strategies that will work for the buyer or whether you're dealing with another agent who just happens to be an agent but it's not a professional. And there's a big difference between the two. What can a buyer control? Well, a buyer can control, um, which is my most favourite topic, uh, and that is for their finance, understanding that being pre-approved is not actually allowing you to go buy at an auction. So for their finance, understanding the basic things which we qualify when we receive an offer, the first thing that we will say is, look, thanks very much. Um, First of all, uh, with your finance, uh, is it a 5% or is it a 10%? Are you going to be using a deposit bond or is it cash? Um, Do you know if you've got access to have that funds released? Is it sitting in a trust account? Have you sold? Um, A lot of these questions that, you know, for a buyer, they've been thinking about making this offer all Saturday night, all Sunday, Monday morning, they pick up the phone, they make this question and they're blindsided because they think, wow, (laughs) I wasn't expecting all that sort of stuff. So I guess for the buyer, uh, what they can control is working out all of those ABC things prior and happy to give you some notes later we can make available from the podcast of what things that that buyer should be prepared. And when they make that offer to the real estate agent, let the real estate agent know, by the way, uh, my financial advisor is Nathan. My conveyancer uh, is, you know, Joe and Fred from, you know, Miranda. And I've got uh, a 10% deposit. And if my offer is successful, I can come in and sign a contract because the property is an auction property. I can come in and sign a contract with no cooling off period. So that space there, um, I would certainly suggest for your listeners to please reach out to Nathan or myself to make sure that you can have a good understanding of all of those things because if you get that right, you'll find that your offer, your family will be prioritised over a buyer that has absolutely no concept of those things we've just discussed. So is a lot of it just having that right team around you, having the right conveyance, having the right 
broker, financial advisor, accountant around you giving you the, the right advice so you can go in with confidence knowing the answers to these questions? Totally. And, and that's what we call as the, the A-team. So, I, you know, I don't want to blow anyone's trumpet here, but I guess for an agent, what a real estate agent needs to think of what they want to be is that go-to person so that whenever, you know, a friend, family, colleague, because there's no difference anymore, you know, everybody, you have to understand, you know, your 30-second elevator chat, they could be a client. So you really have to have best interest at heart at all the time. And for those particular people, um, you need to be the go-to person. So if someone says in the street, I'm thinking of refinancing, well, we can't give financial advice. But I tell you what, I sure know of three people I can provide you their details for. If they want to get a uh, moveologist and they need to, you know, change postal directions, did I make the sale? No, but I know that they're probably going to have disconnections of electricity. That is being the go-to person of your respective field. And I think make sure that a buyer or a listener aligns themselves with whoever that go-to person is. And Nathan, you've got plenty of people you can recommend. Let's move across to the seller now. So looking to sell a property is as nerve-wracking, more nerve-wracking than buying a property sometimes. It can be an intimidating process. What are some things uh, people can do to make that process from uh, from initially meeting an agent through to selling their property easier? Well, I think the industry has, has certainly changed uh, and it is changing rather rapidly. Um, I mean, if I make a reference to two years ago, we had uh, a lot of these cheaper agencies. And when I say cheaper, that there's nothing disparaging about being a cheaper agency, but their business model is, you know, no offices, everything's online. You can't ask a question. Um, everything's via email. Well, a lot of those companies have, have tried. The methods haven't worked and they're now gone. So I'm a little bit disappointed that there's not a lower cost option out there for consumers. Um, but consumers can, you know, often sell their property themselves. That's still around. But what is changing now is the expectation from a seller, they're no longer looking at shop fronts. They're no longer looking at, uh, in our local market, the leader newspaper. Uh, our listeners will notice that that's shrunk. They're now having a look to see social proof. So what's social proof? Social proof is, um, is this person active on social media? Now, that's not just Facebook. <laughs> um, are they doing things like we're doing today, podcasts? Uh, friends and family, they're now doing social proof, asking around barbecues if you had a good experience. And it's no longer seeing a sold sign with two or three people's names on it. It goes a lot further than that. So for a potential seller, um, you may have had some loyalty to a real estate agent that you might know, like myself, for the last 20 years. But realist, uh, but uh, potential sellers today are throwing all of that loyalty aside because they want to get the best possible experience. And agents today are so much more highly trained than what it was, Kellogg's Cornflakes box, go do a six-month course, and presto, you're a real estate agent. Agent. With the advent of technology now for those potential sellers, I would encourage them to go to open homes, pretend to be a buyer, ask the real estate agent questions that occur. So, for example, uh, thanks, uh, could you tell me if the NBN's been connected for the property? Um, have we got a pest and building report, which we touched on before? Make an email inquiry on a Saturday night at 11.30 and see who responds and what quality of response you get. So, I would certainly throw all of the preconceived opinions and perceptions and loyalty aside and don't focus on the age of a real estate agent, whether somebody's a baby boomer as a real estate practitioner or they're somebody that is 19 or 20 years old. Don't pay too much credence on the age. It's all about ability and social proof. That's a great tip. I just want to highlight that one again. So that tip there was present yourself as a buyer, potential buyer, and essentially mystery shop the agents that you're considering and see how they treat buyers because that's how they're going to be treating the people that turn up to your home. And what we do 
I guess from a training perspective, is we have an attitude that never have a conversation that you couldn't have face-to-face with a client. What do I mean by that? So one of the misconceptions with old way of real estate is an agent tells you one thing, but you turn your back and they do another. So if you have the attitude from a real estate practitioner that you can never have a conversation or a text message or a phone call or an email response to a buyer that you could never have right in front of the vendor, then you've got nothing to worry about. And that today is where a lot of agents come unstuck. Um, is they look the part, um, but they don't walk the talk. So they dress the part and they uh, drive the car, <laughs> but they take the take the shortcuts. Or, That's uh, right. Yeah. yeah. You've got to dot the I's and cross the T's. Uh, looking back at some of the properties you sold, is there one that really stands out? Is there one that was like, that was, that was stunning? Uh, probably the most interesting one uh, was, uh, was a bank sale, uh, which was in Carringbar South. And I, at the time, uh, the, the lender is irrelevant, but I didn't understand. I had an email come through from an asset realisation department and I had to Google what on earth an asset realisation department was. That means you're in deep trouble and obviously the banks come in and say, thank you, we'll repossess the home. But probably the, the hardest one of my career was where uh, local identities, people that are well known, uh, for various reasons, quite sadly, their businesses didn't work out. Brand new homes being built, unfortunately, didn't get an occupation certificate. And you're looking at, you know, back in that day, an eight nine $900,000 waterfront peninsula uh, building and without an occupation certificate it's as, it's worth nothing so you know that that was probably the most interesting one that I've, I've had to, to, to sell in the past so you have an expensive home which is unlivable unlivable unless you pay the certificates which uh, loyalty and allegiance uh, the contractors are not going to give a certificate because you know well they're just not going to do that for the client because they still owe money so so you got that property sold? Got the property sold and managed to get occupation certificates for the client. And they're a good friend uh, to this day. Fantastic. I just want to uh, circle back and touch just a little bit more on your, your um, career and then we'll, we'll wrap up from there. So the, the last part I want to talk to you about is you talked about being um, in one agent brand for over 20 years. Why do you see that something that's important? Well, my wife and I, uh, we have some very robust discussions uh, about, uh, I guess, for my uh, career and my training, um, one of the constructive criticisms, uh, which I, my, you know, my wife's been quite right with this, is that I've never worked for another agency. Uh, I haven't worked underneath other people to get a different perspective. So I don't see that as a disadvantage. Um, the way I reinforce that is positives for the consumer. Now, the consumer, that's from a tenant, that's a landlord, uh, a seller, a buyer, is consistency. Now, what I have noticed and in, in coming into your offices today, um, we seem to have a lot of businesses that are very transient. We seem to have a lot of agents that um, can be fly-by-nighters. Uh, it was very sad when they obviously depart, but you know, one that's gone is, is one that didn't need to be there. So what I certainly bring to the table is a level of consistency, a level of maturity. Uh, I mean, I'm turning 37 uh, next week, and, and I see a great benefit in knowing that I can be there for the client at the start of their journey when they have children. I'm there for the journey of their children and I've got that level of business maturity that I haven't had to close my business throughout that period. Um, and I, I see that as a huge, uh, huge benefit. I mean, obviously there's other um, training things. We don't just um, become a, a licensed uh, a real estate agent and a diploma in business in real estate and then just forget we have minimum requirements we have to do each year. I mean, I go over and above that uh, most of the seminars we'll go to. Um, and again, that's just to make sure that for the consumer, I reinforce one thing we said before that I'm the go-to agent that if they think anything related to real estate related services, um, the, the instigation, the call gets, that gets put through to me. 
Fantastic. What's next for 2020? Well, one foot in front of the other uh, at the moment. <laughs> uh, we, we're obviously just coming out of a, a market that's completely changed. Um, what I, uh, my personal agenda is for, for the moment is reaching out to those, uh, particularly buyers that for the last two and a half to three years have, for better words, sat on their hands. Um, and for some people, that was a great decision to do that. My concern and my focus now is while interest rates are at historic lows, um, and you're the expert with giving advice on these certain things, Nathan, uh, about making sure that people pull the trigger, they go buy, they commit, because they may not see an opportunity or a window like this that's going to open up for another 10 or 15 years. So that's what my personal focus is now, is making sure, not for myself, but for all of the friends, family, clients, people I deal with, is that if that has been a dream for them, we want to make that a reality. Perfect. So there could be an opportunity now to uh, right to, now. to get going, and, and and as you said, that hard part's just doing the, the final line. signature and um, anal- fighting analysis paralysis, we call it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, look, thank you uh, for coming in. The final question that we have for all our guests is, uh, is is I want you to reflect a little bit and just think about what, what's that one piece of advice you wish you were given a while ago that you think would have would have helped you today. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, look, very easy for me. Uh, I, I view my life in real estate like a tripod. You've got three legs. Unfortunately, I didn't learn this analogy until some years into my career. Uh, one of those is obviously family. One of those is health. And the other one is what you do for work. So, you know, real estate. And if at any one time uh, that one of those legs, you know, gets a little bit shorter, what happens to the tripod? The thing falls over. So for me, um, the, the one thing that I wish I had learned a little bit earlier in my career was picking a sustainable tempo because you don't want to have burnout, which will affect your health. You don't want to neglect your family, which will then have everything fall apart. So is just to focus on having a sustainable tempo in whatever industry that it is that we like to work work in is pick a sustainable tempo so that you can make sure that that tripod doesn't ever have one leg that's a bit wonky is going to fall over. Perfect. And that keeps you sustainable in the, the long term, which is, I guess, what we've seen with your career. Definitely. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, I really appreciate the insights into the, the two specific areas that you're working in. Um, and, and look, your advice to buyers and sellers has been fantastic. So thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Thanks, mate. This podcast is for general information only. It contains brief comments not intended to be the basis for decision-making nor to be taken as a substitute for specific advice. Please contact Birdie Wealth to discuss any matters that may be relevant to your individual situation. For more information, go to www.birdiewealth.com.au.